So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. On this episode, we're talking to Emma Gannon. Yeah, what a huge guest, Emma Gannon. Um, it's difficult to say what Emma does because she does so much. She's a broadcaster, a blogger, a speaker. Her podcast has well over 2 million downloads. And she's also a best-selling author. And her book, The Multi-Hyphen Method, is exactly about that. Using the internet to have multiple different income streams, leverage what you're good at to just enjoy your life and do a bunch of different stuff. On this episode, we talk about the multi-hyphen method, the power of perseverance, and the importance of real life experiences. And how important creativity is. You guys are gonna love this. The best thing you could do to invest in your future is be more creative. So today we are joined by Emma Gannon, who is a broadcaster, podcaster, speaker, blogger, anything else I'm missing? Like, a, like et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. She is the embodiment of a multi-hyphenate um, and your book, The Multi-Hyphen Method, is, I think, is one of the most important books that has been written in recent times. I, I bought a copy for my sister for Christmas. I think that any kind of young creative, I think it's an essential guidebook to this modern weird life that we're all living um, and kind of making money doing things that you love. So thank you so much. That's that so nice to say. Anyone who's listening to this needs to buy your book if they are thinking about taking the leap of getting out of a boring nine to five. When did your jump from going working a nine to five, when did that occur? So I actually am celebrating my third year anniversary of being a, officially a multi-hyphenate, kind of earning my own money on my own terms um, in January. So I quit my job in January 2016, I was working at Condé Nast and I honestly thought that I'd reached the pinnacle of life. You know, I had a Condé Nast email address. People treat you differently when you work there. It's horrible, actually, and weird. But it really was an incredible place to work. And I guess the sad reality is that magazines, you know, the industry around magazines has changed. But I also had side hustles all along you know, my career just, just for fun. Cause I just wanted to write on the side and I had a Tumblr and I had a different blog and I was just messing around on the internet really. And those things were earning me money. So I kind of just was at this crossroads where I was like, I could have this cool, shiny job or I could go and do all these different things and have different days where so many different things happen. And it's not just one desk every day. How did you get the confidence up to do that? Was there anyone that you looked at who'd, who'd done something similar? Or was well, it just a leap of faith? It's funny. I, I think people think I'm quite a confident person, but it's always other people telling me, Emma, you really should quit your job. You know that you could do it. And why are you still working there? And, you know, other people just being shocked that I had like zero confidence in myself and felt like I should be grateful. I mean, I graduated into a recession like most millennials where you are grateful to have a job. I mean, my tutors at university were just like, 
2% of this room will get a job. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> That's nice to know. So when I got a job, I just thought, who am I to then quit and do my own thing? And I, I really don't really, I don't believe in this narrative of like, do what you love and get paid. Like it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard work to do what you love and get paid. So I just thought I'll do what I love, but I'll do it on the side and then I'll be happy forever. So yeah, it just came to the point where actually my boss at Condé Nast, she, she was a good friend. Um, not, not the top, top boss, just like my immediate boss. And she was like, I think you're a bit of a crossroads and, and actually, you know, we love you here, but I, I, th- I don't think you're happy here. And I think you'd be better doing your own thing. And so that, that was amazing. And I've had mentors along the way who have just kind of given me advice. So it was that all accumulated where I thought I better do this now. Yeah. Take the, take the plunge. I think it's such a hard thing to do. And I think like there's so many things that kind of hold us back, but fear is probably the main one. Yeah. I mean, I got a book deal in 2015 um, from my blog with Penguin, which I was like, wow, if this blog has done anything for me, that's it. Like that's all I've ever wanted is to be a writer. And and I remember getting the book deal and going into my office job and sitting there and I was like too scared to tell anyone that I'd got a book deal. Cause I was like, maybe they'll judge me or maybe they'll think I'm like too full of myself or, and I remember a radio wanted to interview me, a radio um, station wanted to interview me. And I remember like emailing my boss being like, can I have the afternoon off to do this interview? And her saying no. And I just remember being like, what am I doing? Because we all have the ability to connect to millions of people on the internet. We all, we can all do what we want. And I do believe that. I do believe that if we create something, it has the idea to spread and it has the idea to grow and we can earn money in many different ways. And I was just going into this office being so squashed. And I think a lot of people out there that's happening to them right now. So I guess my, I guess writing this book was just saying this isn't something that I've just made up. Like here's all the research as well. Yeah. hundred percent. I feel like, I, cause that's something I say a lot to people is you can do whatever you want. And I, I so passionately believe it. And, but we're met with such resistance. I don't know if you're finding that as well, but when you say to people, you can do whatever you want, there are 10 million excuses as to why they can't do whatever they want. Like, yeah. And I think that's, Maybe that comes from the system. Maybe that comes from being squashed and being told, no, you can't take the time out to go and do this thing. Maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know, but you can do whatever you want. It just takes a lot of hard work. Yeah, I know. I met with a lot of that and it's quite frustrating. And I just feel like, am I this just like annoying, optimistic person then? Because whenever I say things, because I think we should say things that are a little bit shocking because otherwise nothing changes. Mm. And I don't think it's that shocking. Like I say to people who come to my events, they're like, well, I can't have a side hustle because I work really long days and really long nights and I have three kids and and I have no time. And I'm like, oh God, yeah, you don't have a lot of time. But I try and explain that we can make small changes. They don't have to be big. It can be, you know, that, that hour that you spend on Facebook, for example, or like watching Netflix a half an hour. I'm not saying take away the joy in your life, but if you really, really want to make something and start something that will ultimately make you happier, you can find the time, but people don't like hearing that. And I think as well with, um, starting anything on the side, I always say, I believe in a four day week. I believe that's the start of something that just one day to do that thing you've always wanted to do. I, I do believe that we could ask for more four day weeks, but people just say, oh no, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I think but have you asked? 
I think that's really powerful. Like my girlfriend actually went to one of your talks about three months ago where you talked about kind of a four hour week and she's now asked for flexible working and she's now down to a nine day fortnight. Oh my God, she she messaged me on Instagram and I was so happy because that's just an amazing example of someone asking. Yeah. And last, so last week was her first Friday off and she went and did like a watercolor course and had like an absolutely lovely day, learned something, came home and kind of like showed me what she'd done. And she was like super proud of it. And I was like, that's awesome. You wouldn't have done that unless there was someone there to inspire you to do that. And not, I just feel like not enough people know that that is an option that people can actually do. That's amazing. And also I think the myth is that it's really kind of like self-indulgent or, you know, whatever. But actually the, those skills that, for example, she is learning, I reckon they would be used back in her job in some mm. way. You know, they always give back to the world. Like the skills that you learn on the side, they're not really just for you. They, they're, she will then maybe go on to inspire someone else or she might tell her boss like, oh, I learned this. We should do this for a client. I don't know what her job is, but you know what I mean? Like it's always, it always comes back around. Yeah. It's amazing. You say um, that kind of a lot of people at your events, you feel like they're asking you for permission um, to go and do whatever it is that they're thinking about doing. That kind of is like quite a nice example of Lucy, obviously. Yeah. By going to your talk, she felt like she had the permission to, to take that leap. Yeah, that's exactly it. it it's um, it's quite astounding like what what happens and I'm always just so shocked and so I'm inspired because people come up to me and they're like oh I've got this idea and I'm like okay what is it and they reel off a whole thing like a business plan all these ideas all the people they're going to reach out to um all the stuff they've already done and they just like tell me this incredible thing they're like do you think I should do it and I just think you've already you're already doing yeah. it and you just need this nudge, but there's something interesting in that. Like, why do we need that nudge? Why do we need such reassurance from strangers? Cause I haven't actually done anything. I don't do anything. Like if someone says, Oh, you inspired me to do this. I'm like, well, no, you did it. I didn't do it. You did it. So it's interesting. I think people already have it in them. I think, just- I think you're downplaying your role. Like I do think it is incredible that within three years, I mean, obviously you had a, a blog presence so you were you were kind of going into this with a with a momentum with a built-in audience already but how much you've grown in the last three years to the stage where i've read articles where you're being compared in the same sentence now to a gary v or a tim ferris and rightly so i think because the tangible advice in multi-hyphen method is on on a par with those guys so i think like you need to take more credit from you are inspiring a generation of, of people to actually go out there and thanks i guess it's just being an author of a book, you see the positives, but you also see the criticisms. And I try not to believe either of them, which I know is a really weird thing because then I'm just in limbo, kind of just believing what I've written. But I feel like I don't want to take on like horrible comments, but I also don't want to take on like your amazing comments because I think I don't think that I think both of them are unhealthy. Yeah. But thank you. And I will take the compliment. <laughs> So how do you deal with, um, with the, with the negative responses? You just ignore them or do you read them and kind of assimilate them in any way or? I do read them. I guess I can't help, but read them. Nothing's been too bad. It's just that work is a very, very emotional topic. It's a very sensitive topic. It's full of yeah emotion and kind of sensitivity. And I think what I've found is I've written this book from my point of view and I think you have to then 
question like your privilege and your like help you've had. I mean, I didn't know anyone in the creative industries. I genuinely moved to London kind of not knowing anyone. And when, where I grew up, no one was earning money through being creative. It was very much like a village situation of like doctor, lawyer, butcher, baker, you know, classic jobs. So I guess I'm not saying like it's nepotism, but I am like middle-class, white, able-bodied woman from a certain, you know, place. So I, I just think I'm writing this book and, and do I have the authority to be like, this is what you should do. It was never meant to be that book anyway, but I don't know. It just makes me think how unfair the world is as well. And just like taking that on board. Cause a lot of people will read it and, and be kind of angry. Like, well, I can't do that. So it's just making sure I'm sensitive to those situations. So I think the the people that say I can't do that, if if you can find another human being who's who has who's come from your background or the same responsibilities, we've all been through hardships. Like human life is hard. We've all lost people. We've all been through experiences from early from being a child. Like most of us are impacted by our childhood in in some way. And like whether it's being loved too much or not loved enough, there's that fine balance. Um, I think whatever you go through like shapes who you become. Um, but if you can look out there and find another person that's from your background that has managed to do what you've managed to do, if you can find <laughs> another person that has um, managed to become a success despite what what odds they have against them or worse, then that's an example that it can be done and you can get over it. Totally. I mean, it's a reason why I'm just obsessed with Oprah. I never realised what she'd been through and what she's built and that this empire. And I guess the reason I wanted to write the book as well is that I've been really obsessed with multi-hyphenates for, for ages. And I would say she's one of them, you know, just someone that just has fingers and pies. And I think that's the way the world's going. You came super close to interviewing. Her. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't tell anyone cause I knew I jinx it. And then, yeah, she was busy, but one day, I really love what you have said in the past around how social media is important. And actually you, sh- you know, even if you are a, an artist, like a true artist with really raw intentions, you can't really turn your nose up at social, like at marketing. Yeah. So it's a, it's a 50%. Um, equation. And I think as artists, a lot of us, and, and I used artists really broadly, like I think it applies to people who are writers, people who are, are painters, people who are singers. But what we tend to focus on is is the product, which is beautiful and shiny and fun to make. And then we don't focus on the other half, which is so essential, which is showing people that the product exists. Because if they don't see it, then they can't, they can't enjoy it. So... I know a lot of people who are just allergic to the idea of sharing their work or marketing it or putting it on, on Instagram, you know, it's like really kind of gross to them. And I, and I understand that I really do. I'm naturally interested in putting stuff online, but yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation because I think it's a currency and you, you would be silly not to use it. Yeah. We've been told that it's a bad thing, that it's bragging. But it's like, I mean, it's not. I would say that it is a game, like social media is a game, yeah. numbers, it's likes, it's all that stuff, which I don't love, but I don't think it, I don't think it takes away from the art or like the message. And I think, unfortunately, that is the way it's going. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't like it if I'm being honest. Like, I don't like the fact that if you have more followers, maybe your book will, is more likely to get published, but I didn't make the rules, but I'm like, well, I'm going to play them. <laughs> yeah. It's 
just the way it is though, isn't it? I've, there's a friend of mine who I'm friends with on Facebook um, who's a model. I noticed recently she made a post about other certain other models who had larger audiences getting more opportunities, just the way it is. So instead of focusing your attention on what those models are, are doing and writing rants about them, in the time that it had taken to write that rant, you could have been doubling down on replying every single person that's commented on your on your profile or messaging other models and say let's shoot together because then we're going to be seen by more people and sharing each other's audiences and i just think we get battered down by and people don't they don't look at it optimistically and think okay this is again we all just want this like instant success it's a hard slog like how long were you blogging before before the book deal came um around five years yeah yeah and i only saw I only saw really an uplift after like three years. Well, I always say the magic number is three years. Really? Three years? Three years. I think that totally makes sense. And I've been three years self-employed. Things are like doing all right. I I think three years you can, you can judge something, whether it's working. And yeah, that's, that's a long time, isn't it? And I I reckon a lot of people would think, oh, I don't want to do it for three years. So yeah, it's kind of a test. I do, I do think that successful in inverted commas people are literally the ones that are just still going. I I just think that there's so many people that have probably written a blog that's way better than mine, but they, they stopped after a few months. I suppose it's like thinking about it, like a uni course, if you want to start doing something you're passionate about, think I'm going to have to commit three years of my life to this. If you're not prepared to invest that in that, just don't. Yeah, I mean, three years in in the span of your life, if we're going to be with modern medicine, if we're going to be alive to at least 100, three years is not that much. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was I was 28 when we started the business. I had lots of different. I did three years of tattooing and 10 years of of graffiti painting um, illegally before before we started the business. And I think the foundation of who I am is is based in all of those different things that I spent three years and more Mm. kind of working on. I think it's a great message because in this world of so much choice and so many decisions and options and, you know, we should be committing ourselves to things, I think, because doesn't that make you good at something? Yeah, absolutely. And And I think that if you can, if you can have the courage to take those three years just think about all of the other people who won't do it. They won't commit to three because they, it just seems too much for them. They just think, oh no, I can't do three years. Just feel like, I don't know, for me, I'd just be like, I'm winning because I do have the grit to put in those, put in that work, put in that time. It's like doing this podcast. Like this is a, a brand new podcast and I know that nothing substantial will, like I want it to impact thousands of lives. I know that that's not going to happen until the ball starts rolling and we put the work in. We don't just put it out into the world and people will magically find it. Like we have to put in the marketing, we have to put in the time. It's just that's just how it is. Yeah. Such a good mindset to go into something with because I do think it can be really upsetting when you launch something and you're like two days after, where where is the kind of feedback on this and why isn't it doing well and I had that with my own podcast like I went in totally with that frame of mind just well I'm going to enjoy this anyway I'm going to get something out of it anyway because I've spent time with this person I've made a new contact I've enjoyed myself and if it does well it will take a while and it's just knowing that that's what you're in for it it saves that kind of vulnerability I think and insecurity along the way. When you um, when you started you were just kind of committed to doing six episodes is that right uh yeah eight eight episodes i think 
I mean, it's crazy. Two and a half years ago, I was listening to podcasts in America. There was a few authors that I loved and they were doing podcasts. And um, I'm so glad I started it then because I think, I don't know if me doing a podcast on my own would really do much now. I don't know. I, maybe that maybe that's downplaying it. But I think in the business section uh, specifically, you know, with the Gary V's and the Tim Ferris's, that's a hard thing to infiltrate. But um, yeah, it's up there in and amongst them, which is good. But it's Amazing. taken two and a half years. So again, nearly the three <laughs> mark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people do worry about the the time of of doing something, and I think just don't. Like, if you're good enough, it'll happen. Totally. It's like we like we know. So one of the first thing I, I don't know. I've got kind of a little bit of a rebellious attitude. I guess that's why it's called creative rebels. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the we were talking about doing a podcast. We've been talking about it for a long time. Um, mm. And again, it's one of those things that like talk minus action equals zero. Should have just bloody done it but we talked about it for ages and i googled and the first thing that i read and i've got a screenshot of it because it's so beautiful the very very first thing that i read was um a comment on on a blog post and it was someone saying if you're thinking about starting a blog now don't um it's far too competitive there's far too many out, uh, blogs out there um unless you've got a big corporate machine behind you you'll you'll never get found i was just like right well we're doing we're doing a podcast then. <laughs> we're definitely doing a podcast then and we're going to make it massive. Yeah. Just have to prove whoever anonymous 35 is. I just have to prove him wrong. But yes. Well, this is the thing about podcasting is a hundred percent, you know, one in four people apparently in the UK listen to a podcast. That's not even that many people then, but it is a huge amount of people. But what I mean is like the growth on that is obviously there's space there for everyone to be getting into them. You know, I get messages now going, I've just discovered podcasts. I'm on your episode one. You know, people now are discovering them. And there are so many things missing on iTunes. You know, I don't know if there is a graffiti art, kind of like what you guys are doing podcasts, like you're filling a gap and you're going to be the first ones. Yeah, we're not going to be talking about graffiti art at all. There isn't one and there there probably is a gap for that. But um, I think so we, we love painting. We always have done. So we've had the company for eight years now and just gradually, gradually our priorities have shifted. And whilst we do love the art, like, and always will, we've just found like helping people has just been so huge for us. It's gone from painting, which is all we wanted to do every day. Now teaching is what we'd much that. rather do. Yeah. There's you can paint some. On there. I'm so excited. Painting is like that kind of self-gratification of you've painted something, you make yourself feel good for that. But then if you actually kind of speak to someone, you can help someone. That makes someone else's life better as well. If you can do that on a larger scale, you can change so many people's lives just by saying one little thing. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting one with the timing thing because I feel, I do feel a bit torn with it because I, so people ask me all the time, like young, young people, like teens say, what should I do? What should I launch? And I wouldn't say start a blog. I just wouldn't because I would, I would just say your energy can, can go into other things that are kind of more trend led or kind of timing led. And I think that I started a blog because blogging was a thing. I started a podcast because podcasting was a thing. I don't know. I'm kind of, I think there's going to be a next thing and I'm actually looking ahead at what that's going to be. I mean, I was talking to a documentary maker the other day and he, and I was like, oh, you know, how come your documentaries 
know if I've done so well, do you think? I know they're amazing, but how did you get them out there? And he said it was all about timing. He said that it was just when this new camera had launched and he was able to use this camera before anyone else. And that's what made everyone look at him. And I don't know, maybe you disagree, but I think timing is is like a lot. I do disagree. Yeah. I think timing is great. And if you get the right timing, it could be absolutely huge. I think if you're good enough, timing doesn't matter. You can come out whenever. So I look at Slumflower. She's been on your podcast. Like everything is written. It's the written word. Books are dead apparently, but like they're really not, you know, like we're still reading books. We're just, it's just however people are consuming their content. Timing is obviously to a degree a, th- a thing, but you have lots of times. It's not like you just have your one shot yeah, of doing something. Exactly. That guy with the camera, if we've been doing camera filming stuff no, for years, that, so he knew to get this new camera that was coming out to then do that. If actually someone else had come out and got it just before him and done a bigger thing, he would still be on the forefront of learning and finding out and he'd get the next best camera thing that came out and he would do it then. That You don't have that one shot. I think you have a million shots just one will connect with that right person at the right time that kind of then yeah. Yeah. no that's really interesting and actually I should probably unpick that more because I think what's happened is people have put a narrative onto me of oh that was good timing wasn't it what you did oh you did that and that was good timing wasn't it and it's like people have always said that to me and I think I've like kind of um taken that on and and I don't know if that's healthy because then you're always like what's the next thing yeah no you're just good at what you do Yes. If you didn't start podcasting, you would still be good at doing whatever was that next thing because you would have just not done that in that time, but you'd have carried on and picked up the next thing and gone into that. Yeah. I mean, Creative Rebels has a blog um, that's going to be regularly updated. I, I believe in it. I believe that written word is really, really powerful. I believe that people who are looking for advice are going to want to read an article. Like mediums come out of nowhere. Like, mm. What a fantastic app. I love Medium. Love Medium. It's such a good app. Like taking the algorithms that I suppose are like similar to an Instagram and just curating your feed, but with written articles. I actually just restarted a Tumblr just for words and writing. Just, I want to write on it every day. You know, Seth Godin. Yeah. And he writes on this blog every day. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I want to do. No one's asked me to do that. I'm not going to get paid for it. The point is I need to write more and actually... I think if you want to write, start a blog. If you want to make money and be really successfully popular online, don't start a blog. What What do you want? Because if you want to be a writer, you 100% should start a blog ASAP because you will get so much from it. You'll practice your writing. People will find it. People will Google something and your blog will come up. It's amazing. That's how I, that's how everything happened for me. But sometimes I think people are asking me what will make me be seen or what will make me mark you know what what's the best marketing tool see that's a different question i would say don't start a blog people are not going to find it as easily as they'll find a podcast it's yeah. it's kind of what's your question and i and i come at it from like two different ways like i'm actually really obsessed with marketing and i love kind of coming up with different ways of like how to follow trends like following trends is a massive part of what i do but on the other side is just like this artist who just wants to make things and they're very different. So you, you kind of talk about like basically people will Google you and then they'll find enough that they need to know in order to like make a decision. And obviously that was what happened when, when you got Seth Godin on your podcast, you cold emailed him, he researched you and within a couple of minutes he knew exactly what it was. So he agreed straight away. Um, how do people start to kind of craft their online 
persona. Uh, well, I don't know if this is going to make me sound really kind of, um, what's the word? Almost, what's the word? Like tactical scheming? No, I, I don't know. But it's fine I to know be tactical. That tactical is I, good. I, I suppose it's... Strategies. Just, it's yeah. Kind of like- that's it. I suppose I just know, and we all know, like human beings are quite shallow sometimes and they're, and they're visual and they just need to know like immediately what, what this thing is. No one is going to like go and like really look into you and be like, I wonder what this person like cares about. I think we all would, but I think some people who don't have any time or they're just like, they're quite busy and, and they don't have a lot of time for people. They, they just need to know instantly what you're about. And I think that one of the best things you can learn to do is write your own bio and to really go for it and to really not hold back and just it's not arrogant and it's not kind of, I think we're told it is, we're told that it's really braggy and showy offy. And maybe people think I am sometimes, but I just think if you're going to go on my about me section, I want you to be really impressed. And I just want to put everything in there and, and really like capture your attention. And I've actually been asked by a few people, quite well-known people to, I, they've asked me to rewrite their bios for them. And these are people who have like done loads of stuff. They don't need me to do it, but they were like, you're really good at it. Like you're good at basically taking something and making it sound better than it is, which is a really weird skill to have. It's like polishing a turd. But <laughs> I do think that there's a power in that. And I do say that to young people, you know, if you've done something, if you've won an award, if you've done this thing that you're really proud of, you need to showcase it and don't, don't say it like an hour into an interview, say it immediately. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think there's a lot to, to do with social proof and helping people like establish the, their trust in you. It's like, I, I, we want to help people with this podcast, but in order to do that, we're going to have to mention that we've built a successful business over the past eight years that we employ 15 people that they need to know that because they know they need to know that they're getting their advice from people who've been there and done it. Um, because and you for do a have time, to do the work. You can't like lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. I think at the same time, I think it's it's making the most of, of what you do. So when we first started, when we were going into meetings with kind of big clients and we hadn't really done much, we had to make them trust us and, and realize that we could deliver the job. Um, even though at the time we were just saying yes to anything and working out how to do it later, we kind of in the, in the beginning stages, we had to elaborate yeah um but um yeah just just embellish what what we had achieved so yeah totally um, painting at a, a local family fair would become that we worked at a festival do you know what I mean just yeah, that, that totally. kind of yeah to make people realize that that we could do the job and there was a magical moment when me and Ad both came out of a meeting and uh, looked at each other and was like didn't blag any of that that's all true <laughs> That's a good moment where you're like, yeah, I didn't have I to embellish so anything, yeah. Yeah. but it's true. I think it's a massive part of the confidence issue is people struggle selling themselves. They really, really do. And I have a lot of people always asking me about self-promotion, how to do it in a way that's not really icky and weird and to do it in a way that's really genuine, but we, we have to do it. No one else is going to do it for us. Yeah. I think just saying it, I think if you have personal feelings around it and you're really kind of sheepish then that puts other people on guard and then they will feel icky but if you just go oh look I'm super proud that I did this this like I, who would have thought me being able to do that yeah I did in the book I write a list of kind of ways to do it so it feels natural and I think one of the ways is to say it like you're telling a friend 
Because yeah. you wouldn't brag to your friend, but you would say to your friends, oh, I've just done this project and I'm really proud of it. Just kind of the tone, I think, is really important. You don't, you don't want to show off, but at the same time, you have to celebrate your own milestones because comparison can drain you. And if you don't celebrate your own milestones, then you don't, they can pass you by and then you can look back and be like, oh, that was actually really cool. And I just didn't do anything with it. Yeah, definitely put it out there. Because again, you're planting those flags and people will see those. And, and we started off with pretty much one service. We will come to your house and we'll paint graffiti on your walls for you. And then gradually, as we got asked to do more and more things, those became services because we spoke about them and because we put them on our blog and we tweeted about them and just been here and done this. Then people will go, oh, that's interesting. Could you come and do that for me? And I found video was really, really um, crucial for us in the beginning because we were, we were going to events and painting and we were filming what we were doing. A lot of these events we were turning up for free because we put our URL across the back of our shoulders oh, on our cool. T-shirts and we knew that people, because everyone takes a photo of you when you're painting a wall, they take a photo of your back. So we used to put our URL on the back of our shirts and just realised that by going to an event, even if we were, were being there for free, we weren't getting paid to do it. We knew that that event, hundreds of people are coming. Everyone is a potential client. They're taking photos of you, which they then put online, then have you a URL address, which is then being circulated around. And it was just a way to grow in the beginning. But we were making videos and we made a, a video of us um, putting together this fake wall at an event. And um, we got contacted by like three or four different people who were like, I didn't realize you could come to our event and build a wall. I thought we had to have a wall already. So, and then we got loads more bookings because wow. we had this like temporary solution for painting graffiti live at events. Had we not documented it, had we not put it out there, then we wouldn't have been asked to do it again for other people. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's super important. Oh, the knock on effect. I, I get work from at least one person every time I do an event, even if it's like 50 people. I always have at least one person. Like it, the conversion is like 99%. Like, and, and I don't, I don't go in thinking that I'm not like, Oh, I'm going to win some business off this. Like I go yeah. in being like, I want to, and it's actually je- so genuine. Like I want to meet people. And I just want to, I want to do it. But it's when people hear you in person, and this is the biggest myth I think about like online marketing is you cannot connect with people just online. You can like them and they can follow you back. And that is, that is basic kind of think I can have connected with you, but real, real, real connection. I mean, I always say this to younger people as well is get out there into the real world and go to an event, meet people face to face. There's just so much that can't be translated across, uh, for example. Yeah. Like to know the psychology behind that. When you have that face-to-face interaction with someone, you really remember that forever and it becomes part of who you are. You couldn't tell me about a Twitter conversation you had two years ago, whereas someone you met personally two years ago, you could just visualise it. Yes. Whereas like on a Twitter feed, it's the same every time. Yeah. And so. also you don't really know who someone is. I actually have this theory that, well, it's not my theory, but we're all different online. It, we're a different person. Like yeah. we, we're, we're us, but we're not because it's, it's our third self. I think it's called like, it's a new self. It's, it's a new version of us. And I am different online. I don't want to be, and I don't try to be, but I just know that I am. And I think that you get the real person in, in person. And I think that in this world of like noise and competitiveness and like all these messages and, you know, get loads of emails. If I've met the person, that email 
goes straight to the top and I will reply to that one first. It's just really important to have genuine connections. And that's why I'm allergic to networking, but I am all for like informal meetups. So how do people go about finding those sort of opportunities and those kind of events? I think that there's something really magical about private groups. Not, not kind of, that sounds like be something questionable or like really <laughs> political, but niche groups, I should say. So like private Facebook groups for people who are interested in like a pod. So a podcast, my favorite murder. Do you listen to that one? Oh, so no. that, that Facebook group has like subgroups. So like there's a subgroup for women who don't want children within that group. How amazing that those mm. women can find each other. I think that you should find your communities in these places. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, the event that everyone's going to. I think you can kind of peel off and find like-minded people. That sounds like someone on Reddit though, <laughs> like <laughs> hanging out with weird like-minded people. But I think there's just so many ways, like newsletters are really good to find digestible information and events that are going on that will suit you. I think you just have to be quite creative with what you're searching for as well. But at the same time, just turn up. I mean, I've been to so many events that are awful and I've been to so many events where I've left and I've got like the biggest job of my life. It happens to me all the time. I'm, I've met people who have genuinely changed my life. I've sat next to them at a dinner. I don't know whether that's luck. That's just luck that I sat next to this person. But I don't know. It, it actually freaks me out. But like, luck is putting yourself into those situations over yes, and over again, isn't it? Definitely. And also, is it luck because we we happen to sit next to each other? Or is it just that that, that time we connected and actually I've sat next to thousands of people like that person, yeah. but this one happened to <sighs> kick off? I don't know. It's pretty not luck. It's pretty more probability. At some point that's going to happen with someone and it's just putting yourself in that situation as many times as possible and it yeah. will... I think probability is is the thing. It's all probability. If you write a blog post every single day for a year, you're more likely to, you know, it's it's. Yeah, if you want a a viral hit on YouTube, make one video, probably won't happen. Make a thousand, probably one will. Yeah, yes, and the fact that you guys did so many events with the URL, like if you did that once, or if you did that a hundred times. You know, it's just obvious, like the more you do, the more successful something will be. Yeah. I was mentoring at um, Cass Business School recently and I was talking to um, to one of the students there and she um, had had this great product that was um, made out of recycled bottles. Really, really cool, like jewelry line. And she said, yeah, I, I pitched this to like five or six people and I was just I was ready to give up. And then seventh person was um i think it was, some, uh, it was like accessorize or one of those stores and they they kind of took it and i was like five or six is not the give up point i was like <laughs> five or six hundred and then maybe give up it's just it's just a numbers game she was super lucky that her seventh ask wow was seventh yes. ask was accessorized it's solely a numbers game and so with the with the writing every day with the new tumblr is that you know something's going to happen from that right but you just don't know what it is yet well, I got one like yesterday oh, right. from some random. I am so excited about doing something purely for the fun of it again. 
So this was my 2019 resolution. So downside of turning all your hobbies into your work is you're left with no hobbies. So really good problem to have. Like I don't want to complain, but yeah, I just felt like where, where's my space again? Like my Not my (laughs) space, although (laughs) could bring that one back up. Um, No, yeah, I just needed to carve out uh, a space just for me again. And so I'm going to do a Seth Godin type blog on Tumblr, which is just a thought a day to practice my writing. Just, yeah, do something for fun again, which is kind of back to your point, I guess, about timing, because there's no good timing on this one. (laughs) Tumblr isn't yeah. something that is in a business strategy. This is just, it's the perfect platform for what I want to achieve. And that's, that's something I always say to people, what platform should you pick for what you want to do that, you know, don't start a Twitter. If actually what you want to do is, I don't know, make long form video type of thing and Tumblr for me. So it's, so basic. It's n- not fancy at all. It's my name and it's words. That is it. And if you want to follow my writing, then people should go on that. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to grow something brand new again. Yeah, it's kind of nice to start from scratch again, it's isn't so it? It's so good to start That's from scratch. That's how we are with scratch. this podcast. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's challenging. And what I really want to do is grow a huge audience with this podcast just, for, just to kind of show people that it's possible because I think everyone's like, oh, again, again on the timing issue, but people were so un- underconfident of like, oh, if I started something, I wouldn't be able to build anything around it. And just, I mean, we've had some incredible guests on this podcast and we're recording this now before it's even launched yet. All we did was ask, like I sent you an email, I've got a million downloads, please come on our show. It was just about what we're trying to do with the show. And that was enough to to get all of these amazing guests. That we- You're very, I think you can tell when someone's good at doing that as well, because the intention leads, I think you've got such good intentions for this podcast. And I actually think those are the ones that do the best Yeah, because you can, I mean, we're all clever people, aren't we? You know, anyone with an internet connection can read the tone or like the intention. And I think that you can very, very quickly notice if a podcast is like trying too hard to serve its own purpose rather than serve the listeners. Every question that we ask is just, I hope that's the one question that is answered by a guest that kick someone up the arse to go, oh yeah, oh, that's what I need to do. It's giving that one person that permission to, okay, yeah, I can go and do that. Yeah. I mean, something that Gary V always says, and I don't know if this is, I find some of the things he says quite demotivating, but what he's saying, his whole thing is go and do it now. But he uses these tools of like, I should have done it five years ago. I don't think that's helpful. But the way he talks about like emails, he's like, Oh, email was so big in the nineties. I wish I'd sent more emails. So his whole thing is like, now this platform is big. I should go nuts on that platform. I find him quite relentless. Like his hustle exhausts me. I don't know. What do you think about that? Cause I actually feel like, so I'm 30 next year and my whole twenties were about the hustle. I didn't sleep. I had a full-time job and worked all night on my side projects. Like I I was this poster girl of like how to be really too obsessed, I think. And I think people used to say like, you're a workaholic and it's really weird. And I'm now going into this new decade of like totally more zen, taking my foot off the pedal. And I think that I have to keep that in mind when I'm talking to younger people. I think you need the hustle. You need the go, go, go. You need to go and do it now. And I think 
there gets to a point where you can kind of ease off a bit. We've definitely had that with our business. You suddenly get to a stage where you've got employees and you've got people who can help you achieve what you want to achieve. And it allows you to then actually step back a little bit and be like, well, what do we really want to achieve here? What do we want to do? The reason this podcast exists, it's like, well, we want to kind of help people. We want to kind of inspire people. It's like, because on the front cover of the book, it says like, work less, create more. But I think that at the beginning of your career, you kind of need to like put the pedal to the floor. A hundred percent. I think it's all about happiness. And I think that's the, that's the main Gary V takeaway that most people miss, I think, is that he says that the ROI of life is happiness. And if you get more happiness about watching Netflix, hanging out, and you talk about it in the book, like I think it's one of the most important things that no one does really, like on a general scale. Most people don't take an audit of their life and what success looks like for them, what makes them happy. For me, I love working. Like I love it. So I don't really stop because it's what I enjoy. I have been called a workaholic, I think, by people. But at the same time, I need to do what I do. It's like, it is like breathing. Like I need to get up and I need to do this. It's like not a choice, which sounds really weird, but I wouldn't be me And I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be happy if I didn't work in this way. And I don't think people talk about that very much. I think we're in this culture of like shaming people for working too much or shaming people for not working enough. But no one talks about this like drive to create that kind of does overtake like other parts of your life. And I've started to just not beat myself up about that. Like this is the way I am. And like Gary Vee, I'd rather be doing that than watching netflix but For that's sure. not yeah. me kind of like being this like martyr it's whatever brings you happiness as you said before if you if whatever that makes you happy do it all the time if you're working in a job that you hate and you're having to work really long hours don't do that find something that you want to do and then yeah. invest all your time into that hustle the hell out of it if you love it i think people have the idea of work as this negative thing that people don't actually want to do and you're forced to go and do this between these certain hours if you can find something you're actually really passionate about it's not traditional work in the sense you're going to do this nine to five just to earn money and but this podcast i think is so so crucial at the moment because people want more purpose they want to be more fulfilled they want more hobbies and side hustles and I think I was listening to an interview on the TED Radio Hour podcast the other day about the future and this amazing predictor inventor was saying that in the next however many decades, technology is going to get so good that we are not needed as humans to do the labour that we have always done. Of course, that's kind of negative, like people's jobs are going to go. But what he's saying is that we're not machines. We can't work the way that machines can. They can do loads more things that we can, uh, better things that we can. Um, So he was saying, and I don't know if this is true, but like there will get to a point where we will have to have like a basic income because we will need, like the, the machines will take so much of our work that we'll need income. So what will happen is we will need to have human purpose again and what's human purpose is art it's creativity it's using your human brain to solve problems so i think the best thing you could do to invest in your future is be more creative yeah i'd absolutely agree with that currently like with the with the school system like um you talk about in the book you went into a world that you were not equipped for 
Um, and I think that's why that's why when when I introed you, I said that I think this is one of the most important books because I know that when my sister graduates university, or I've got her a copy, um, she needs to learn about money. And I think that chapter in your book is like so crucial because she hasn't got a clue because she's never been taught about it because we're not taught about it. Um, and I think and the same is with creativity. Like creativity is being crushed out of our schools. So absolutely epidemic. Like especially when you look at. Um, the, the 90 billion a year the creative industries bring in and yet mm. we're cancelling art in in schools oh, like, i don't get it when you look at like the richest people in the world they spend their money on art they spend their money on going to the theater going to the cinema people pay for art you can make a lot of money in this industry no one talks about it yes you have to put a value on yourself but being an artist doesn't mean you have to be like struggling along with no pay. I just want loads of people to know. I've had a year where my eyes have been open to how much people pay for, for creativity because they don't have it and they need it in their, in their organizations. And I believe everyone is creative, but it's just squashed and it's probably squashed at school. I was like in tears the other day because my nephew's nativity play like got canceled or something because it didn't have enough. There wasn't enough like to go into it or Something got cancelled, which was like, I thought was a non-negotiable, like, you can't cancel kids' plays. Like, this is not okay. And yeah, I'm really, really passionate about that, about creativity in schools. I don't know what the answer is, but I mean, even just going in and doing talks and and getting people thinking is something, I suppose. If you can't change the school system, there's still so much time outside of school where parents can get those kids to learn and enjoy things that are still creative. Because that's the short-term solution. We're not going to change the government in a second and suddenly get them to invest loads in creativity. But we can educate parents to teach their kids of how to be curious, how to be creative, and champion them for doing that as well. People who now don't see themselves as creative, people who can't draw, because when they were five and they drew something, their parents didn't go, that's really good, keep doing that. Because like when I was a kid, I was always quite interested in drawing, so it's kind of like, Oh, support that. Keep giving them things that do that. So for Christmas, I always get art sets because I was good at that. And as soon as you're told that enough, you start to believe it and you just keep going in it. People who didn't have that were like, oh, you're very good at this thing. And they've been pushed down that route. And you kind of just get into that cycle of get good at something. Someone tells you you're good, so you do more of it and you keep going. So everyone does have that potential to be creative. It's just believing that you can be. Totally. And in the multi-hyphen method, I talk about how as a society, we're still really obsessed with someone being good at one thing. It's like, oh, you're good at art. You're good at maths. You're good at science. And so then you go into your life being like, I'm this person. And actually, what if you don't want to be an accountant anymore? What if you want to go and be a painter? Like we need to stop unpicking this, this weird thing we put on people where we're like, you are celebrated at a very early age being good at that thing. And yeah, I mean, have you read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? Because I, anyone, like everyone listening should read it. It's about the shame we hold from our childhood around creativity. And there was an artist that was interviewed for the book. He's really well known now in his 80s, but he only started drawing again when he was like in his 60s. And there was this picture on the fridge of his drawings uh, from when he was like five. And his dad said it was shit, basically. <laughs> and he was like, that was the last thing I ever drew decades and it's just people don't realize that their comments really stick when you're a child 
Yeah, I, I had a lecturer at uni who told me that art was not a valid career option. I'm luckily, again, rebellious. I was like, well, I'm definitely doing that then. And so in a way with that, like I maybe wouldn't have started the company if I hadn't have had her say that negative comment. So I, I love think- how you react to negative comments, but as in, I think more people should be like that. Yeah, It's a bit like Whiplash, that film where the teacher's so horrible to him and then he becomes the best he could ever be. I think it's it's working out as well how kids react because I'm like you. If someone says I can't do something, I was told I couldn't write at, at university. So I went, I was like, I'll post you both my books. Um, but Did you post the book? <laughs> no, I forgot his name, but he was really, really awful to me and said I was a shit writer and told me I was dyslexic on like my last day of university. I was like, didn't know that. But... I like to prove people wrong. And I think some people react that way, but then some people that just then they spiral off yeah, and they'll never yeah. do it again. For me, like revenge, the best kind of revenge is just, is just working hard and being like, I need to get to the level where in 10 years time, you're going to stumble across this. You're going to find this. All the people that bullied me at school, it's like one day they'll accidentally stumble across a painting I've done for Nike or or this podcast, or do you know what I mean? It'll be something they'll be like, oh, he actually made it. And I, I love that. I'll yeah. never know it. I'll never see it. I'm not going to bone them up and go, oh. Have you seen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, I don't know. I think there's a really good karmic element to that of just, yeah, just keep, keep working and prove them all wrong without even telling them or saying anything. Just prove everyone. Love it. Totally. And that, I think, honestly, like teachers are the best people in the world. I couldn't be one. I think I'd, I don't, I'm not very good at it. I think it's a skill. I think it's a real magical skill. And, and if you had a good teacher at school, we all, we can all remember the name of our favorite teacher. And I think a good teacher really works out what that specific child needs. And if they need a bit of tough love or if they need a bit of actual love, like an attention, I, I think they are amazing and I think they should have all of the money. Yeah. Yeah. They get none of the money. Exactly. Because we're broken. It's so broken. I think um, the the hopeful thing, though, is that more and more people are learning on the internet. I quit college at 16. I never got any A-levels. And I started a business that's eight years old and really successful. And I did it through learning online. I mean, literally day one Googled how to start a business. All of the info is out there. Like anyone who's listening to this who wants to do something just got to Google it. You don't have to pay for a course. You don't have to, it's all out there. Everyone yeah. has posted whatever your niche is. There'll be someone who's more successful than you are, than you are in that niche who will be giving you the information of how they did it. And then you've just got to put the work in. It's like a really simple formula when you boil it down. What, totally. what gets in the way is people's fears and ne- probably all the negative feedback that they've got over the years and from those crap teachers and maybe a parent that's holding them down. And it's just you believe in yourself and you work hard at something, give it three years, something will happen. You need to write a book called Give It Three Years. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I watch about five YouTube videos every night of someone being interviewed. It's very simple. I watch an hour of people being interviewed. They'll always tell you something you didn't know. It's free. And our brains are very elastic. We can rewire them. Like you are not the same person you were when you were younger. I'm not the same person I was when I was 18. I have trained my brain to learn new things and and anyone can do that. It's incredible what's out there. I mean, you can pay for stuff like on Skillshare and all that stuff. If you want a proper tutor and you want to engage with someone, that's fine. Because that gives you accountability as well. So that can be a useful 
Yeah. And that can be sort of, and it's not loads and loads and loads of money. I mean, you could pay like $30, I think it is for Skillshare and like, you know, you can get loads of courses, you know, it goes quite far, the money. But yeah, free stuff. Like people, I found this interview with Seth Godin on YouTube the other day. Sorry that I'm mentioning. I mean, I need to like get a room with Seth Godin. Don't worry, he's out um, of the room as well. <laughs> but um, it, it had like three views or something. And it was this conference he's just done. And it's in California or something. And I looked up, because I'm a massive weirdo, how much the tickets were to the conference. They were like a thousand pounds, a thousand dollars. And this video had gone up. No one's watching it. And I'm like... Well, I've just spent a thousand dollars then watching this YouTube video in my room. And I think, yeah, you just need to get creative with, with what you're consuming. What you're consuming is everything. If you're consuming people you hate and like watching their work and watching them do well, you're going to be so negative. If you're watching videos that inspire you every night. You're just like getting your brain going. Yeah. I think that the subconscious is so important what you said about rewiring your brain, like Google how to rewire your brain, because what you tell yourself you are is what you will become. And if you say that I'm, I'm an angry person or I'm a negative person, or I don't even like saying those words because I don't want to put them into my subconscious. You know, it's like the, the words that I say about myself are empowering. Like um, one thing I always say is if I'm not working, I'm learning. And that's, that's something that I like, certainly this year was, it was probably like a a resolution at the beginning of the year to kind of get into that state. If I'm not working, I'm learning. Like you'll always see me. I've always got my headphones around my neck and like, if I'm not working, I'm learning. Sometimes I'm doing both because I'm painting a wall, probably listening to something on Audible or I'm listening to podcasts. And there's so much content out there that you can be learning 24 seven. Then all you have to do is just put it into action. Um, I think one thing like people will struggle with is, is finding their, their passion. Um, and you talk a lot in the book about what to do once you have that passion, but how do you think, like, what advice would you give to people who are like, maybe they're working that nine to five and they're having to turn up and it's bums on seats and it's, they're there every day, but they know they want to do something else, but they don't quite know what it is. Yeah. I mean, I feel torn around the word passion because don't know do do you just have one passion in life i like curiosity more which you mentioned earlier just this idea of just being curious i'm writing a novel at the moment and it's about something totally different people will be like that's nothing to do with this brand that you've built but the point is i'm just like really curious and i've interviewed 100 people about this new topic i'm just curious about it i just want to know more about it i'm not passionate really about the topic i just just nosy. And I think that that's a better place to start. Just like, what are you, what do you want to know more about? What, what, what just makes you kind of think that's weird. I'm going to look under this rock and learn more about it. I think that's a better place to start than, than beating yourself up about not having a passion. Yeah. Cause I think people feel so guilty, you know, maybe when they look at people like me, to be honest, who's like so passionate about my job, I just think that must be so annoying for people who don't have a passion and they're like, why do you have one? And I don't, I think everyone has curiosity. It's human nature. Um, I also think that you should find people who you just look at and think, Oh, you, you look like you're having fun. I want to do more of what you're doing and just follow people that inspire you. I mean, I, I don't copy people, but I've definitely just like followed certain people and basically followed a little bit in their footsteps just to get started. Like, oh, they did this and they worked with this person and they did this event. You know, you can kind of mirror people at the beginning. Yeah. We found a lot of guests on the podcast have really engineered their own 
their own path. They've looked at what is it that I that I find really fun, and like, let's how do I, like how do I do more of that? And they've just kind of put together like by looking at other people, this is how I do. I do I do feel really lucky though that I I just know this is my thing. And I don't know where that comes from. And I know Elizabeth Gilbert always talks about it. People are like, what makes you like, what made you want to be a writer? Like, it's the only thing I can do. It's the only thing that I feel like I should do. And, and sometimes that happens. Were you particularly good at English at school? Again, probably the only thing I didn't like fail at. So maybe it was one of those things where people were like, oh, you're quite good at that. You should do more of that, which again is like that kind of conditioning thing, isn't it? But then I was also told I couldn't write and that I was dyslexic. So I don't know. That could have put me off. But I think that you, I mean, this is the whole thing about the multi-hyphen method is I think the biggest reason we hate work is when we feel trapped. I actually think that we could rewire our relationship with work if we had free more freedom i didn't hate my job i hated the fact that people made me feel so squashed and so trapped inside something i couldn't escape whereas if they were like oh you could work from home on a thursday afternoon or why don't you go to that event you know i think it would be interesting for you i think that employers need to do more to make people feel less trapped and i think that is just the way we're going to keep people retain people, retain talent in organisations. It's just like, make them feel more free. And that's what we all want. We all want to feel free, I think. So where can people find you online? So you can find me emmagannon.co.uk, which is my website. I'm on Instagram, emmagannonuk. Twitter, emmagannon. And my podcast is Control-Alt-Delete if you want to listen. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya. See ya.